You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. And then that's pretty much it. We just maybe wrap up and then figure out what's happening then. Okay? So that's hopefully going to be an exhaustive treatment of eldership in the, in the scriptures. Uh, we were having our little family time the other night out on the front deck, and Kelly asked me a question. She said, if you could be at any, Kelly's my, for those of you who don't know, she's my daughter, she is 10. She said, if you could be at anything in all of history, if you could be at any one thing that happened in all of history, what would it be? And I had to think about that, not for very long, and I was able to pick one. But I'm interested in what you would say to that. If you could be at one thing in all of history, one moment, what would that moment be? (laughs) History would be past. (laughs) In all of history. Passion weekend. That's a few days there, but we'll let you have it. Pentecost? It would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's got to be in your short list. The resurrection. Who said resurrection? That's what I told Kelly, which is kind of included with Jim's. Imagine that. Stone rolls away. That would be amazing. Any others? Hmm? The ascension. Gives you goosebumps. I think the the parting of the Red Sea, and then the sea coming back. That would be amazing. Um, When David marched out to meet Goliath, this little shepherd, and you know the ending, you know that'd be awesome. I like to see that. Uh, There's lots of great moments. There's one we're going to talk about today that I hope ends up on your short list. It's not one that probably comes to mind immediately. Uh, we're going to look at it here in a second, and you'll see what I mean. But that's kind of interesting just to think about. It kind of gives you an idea of, especially if you ask your kids about that, if they say, well, I really would have liked a minute. Super Bowl 10. you got some work to do, right? Acts 15. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2 because those are the first two verses in Acts 15. I've noticed that in nearly every chapter, they start with verse 1 and 2. It's kind of a Bible trend. And we're going to read uh, quite a bit of this chapter, so I'll kind of just go through it a couple verses at a time. Acts 15, verses, first two verses. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. This is after the first missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. It's a Gentile Christian church in Antioch. 
many of the Jewish Christians had gone to Antioch to escape persecution. They had evangelized to great effect, and this was quite a thriving Gentile church. It was a mixed church of Jews and Gentiles. Um, it was uh, considered the citadel of Gentile Christianity. So this is really the center of Gentile Christianity. It's well known. It's well known all the way to Jerusalem. Right? So the church in Jerusalem, the, the, the Christians that were attending the church in Jerusalem, which was a Jewish Christian church, knew about this Gentile Christian church. And a couple of people, it says some men, don't know how many, came down from Judea, some men, and they decided that they would teach their pet heresy to the church in Antioch, that you had to observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. Okay? Well, this is just rank heresy. There's nothing even close to biblical about that approach. These were not leaders of the Jerusalem church. They were not sent with a message from the apostles in Jerusalem. They went on their own accord. Turn to verse 24, just quickly. Flip over a page. This is James' response as we go through the whole story. This is towards the end. And this is James' response in Acts 15.24. He says, Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. So James is clear. We didn't send these guys. Okay? So these are just people that have taken it upon themselves, self-appointed experts in theology, to go and correct this church in Antioch. So how do Paul and Barnabas, remember we're focused on eldership, church leadership. How do Paul and Barnabas react to these teachers? What does the scripture say? Did they say, oh, you know, that's an interesting idea. Let's get together at an evening worship service and we'll discuss it with the flock. Maybe you'd like to teach a Sunday school lesson on that. Is that their approach? No. Great dissension and debate, right? That's what it says. Uh, your, ver- your translation may be somewhat different. But the point is, Paul and Barnabas didn't tolerate this. They're not tolerant of heresy. They're not tolerant of a false gospel, are they? Right? So, there's great dissension and debate. I think they took care of these guys all right. Paul and Barnabas probably were able to handle this. But then they thought, you know, these guys said they're from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is Peter. And James, it's the mother church. There's apostles there. We better go up there and, and straighten this thing out. Okay? So that's what they do. One thing you see from elders here, and Paul and Barnabas are, you know, kind of super elders, but church leaders have to be able to defend the gospel. Right? They have to be willing and able to defend the gospel. And that's what happens here. Uh, so let's keep reading. Uh, we'll just skip verse 3 just because that's kind of tells about their trip. Verses 4 and 5. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church of the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So they get up there. They're received lovingly in this church. They have a nice conversation about what had happened in their trip and all that. So that all goes well as brothers in Christ ought to receive one another. But then somebody stands up or some men stand up and say, hey, it's necessary to circumcise these believers to direct them to observe the law of Moses. They have to observe the law of Moses. Now, the argument has changed a little bit here, hasn't it? Do you see that? 
it goes from, in order to be saved, you must observe the law of Moses, to, if you're saved, you must observe the law of Moses. That to do otherwise is sin. Right? So it's a little bit different argument, a little bit softer argument, but it's still wrong. Look at verses 6 through 11. We'll see what happens next. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples... <clears throat> a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Okay, so that's Peter speaking against this heresy, first of all. You understand how important it is that this goes right. This is absolute heresy. If you know God is sovereign in this, so we know that it's going to come out right, but if Peter had stood up and said, you know what, I think that's right. Could you just imagine what would have happened? The whole course of history would have changed right there. So you see what I'm getting at of the one place you'd want to be? This goes on my short list now. Here's a debate. You have Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter. And John was probably there. And they're talking about what is the gospel. Do you have to follow the law to be saved? If you're saved, do you have to follow the law? What's the gospel? That's what they're kind of talking about right here. Now, it's important, I think, to understand Paul and Barnabas, Paul especially, he's not coming to find out the right answer. It's a settled matter for Paul. He's already taken care of it. He's coming up to make sure these guys have it right and we can restore fellowship here. So it's not a debate in that sense. But there is a debate going on. So, keep going here. Peter, first of all, he makes the defense of salvation by, by grace through faith. Then we go to James. Start in verse 12, and this goes all the way to 29, so this is kind of long, so try to stay awake, Taylor. Okay. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, 
It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So now we have James weighing in. We talked about James a little bit last time. James was referred to as an apostle. He's referred to as an elder. He's the Lord's brother. He was a man of great authority, maybe singular authority in the church. And so now you have Peter, then Paul and Barnabas, and James all saying, hey, salvation is by by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, we're going to ask the Gentile believers to do certain things. Right? And I want to kind of frame this as to why, why we're looking at this passage in the context of biblical eldership. This is the passage that is held up to support an ecclesiastical authority. Okay? Some group of men or people that is above the church, that has authority over a number of churches. Okay? So denominational leadership, or a pope, or a papal leadership, whatever, things like that. As we've talked about eldership, we've really held that elders are the leaders of the churches. It's, it's given to elders to lead the church. And there's nobody above them other than the Lord himself through his word, and the elders are, have to be in complete submission to him and, and his word, but to no one else. There's, there's not a, a, another body out there, a, a parachurch, superchurch body, that has authority over the churches. If, in fact, that body exists, we have to rethink all this. Okay? So what's going on here? Is this, in fact, a council that has authority, a standing council that has authority over the churches that's normative for today? How do you deal with this? Yeah, that makes a difference, doesn't it? If Peter, James, John, Paul, and Barnabas, and Silas we're meeting today, and they came out with a paper. Yeah, I'd probably think that was pretty well significant, right? Sure, that's what makes it significant. You see that? That's what makes this authoritative, I should say. I have to do that. I just got that out of my system because then I won't keep doing that. Okay? Right, do you see that? This is not a council of, of elders, a council of men, a council of church leaders... This is a council of apostles, and that, that changes things, all right? Okay. And it's really a meeting between two churches, Antioch and Jerusalem, to settle an issue that had happened in Antioch. Okay. If we had an issue with some people from another church, somehow we would probably meet with them and, and have some agreement about what happened. Right. But we shouldn't see this as some sort of an ecclesiastical body. It's apostles. That's what makes it authoritative. Yeah, in a sense it is. In a sense at that time, you know, any church was kind of beholden to the Jerusalem church. It's kind of a mother church. So this is important. I mean, they had to get together. They had to do this. They had to set some ground rules so that Jews and Gentile Christians could have fellowship. It was just too offensive for the Jewish Christians, for the Gentile Christians to exercise all their Christian liberty. And they have thousand years of of this tradition they need to follow, 
And so for the, the, the uh, Gentile Christians to be behaving in these ways was just was, would have been too much for them. So this is a principle we see elsewhere in Scripture about the weaker brother and so on. It just modify your behavior when you're around people who are offended by this or that thing. Okay. So that was really the point of this meeting. Um, without going into whether the the letter is really how to handle the letter, because that's a whole different lesson. We're focused on eldership. The content of the letter about the blood and whatever would be a, something to tackle when you have more time. I want you to understand that this is not some sort of body over the churches that has authority. We shouldn't look for that today. Now, does that mean you shouldn't ever be part of a church that's part of a denomination? How do you handle that? Doesn't mean that. Okay. You ever gone to a Southern Baptist church or I was saved in a Southern Baptist church. I went to a regular Baptist church which has an association. They're very careful to call it an association because they emphasize the autonomy of the local church. The local church has to be autonomous. It has to be in charge of itself and how it worships and what it does. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying you shouldn't be part of any denomination. There are some denominations you probably shouldn't be a part of. (laughs) That's for lots of other reasons. Mm -hmm. Paul and Address it with whom? What do you think about that? If you see L, if you see error in another church, you hear about it from a friend of yours that goes to another church, and you hear it's error and it's it's a it's a high error. It's related to the heart of the gospel itself. Do you have a responsibility to go to the eldership of that church and and discuss it? Yeah, the, the whole, you know, the fact of apostleship here makes a big difference. But, you know, there's a difference between having a duty to do something and a right to do something. I don't think we have a duty to do that. Is it something you you can do? 
I think that's fine, sure. Yeah, we're under no such duty. <laughs> Put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that you can't. I mean, and especially if if we have someone who's you know evangelical in that sense and wants to go and stand on the corner over there and and share the gospel, I'd support you 100%. I'm I'm not under that obligation, but somebody else may be. Scripture sets out a pattern, and it doesn't always say, this is the pattern. Make sure you don't do this pattern, and you don't do that pattern, and you don't do that pattern. Just follow this pattern. Apostles and prophets, foundational. Evangelists, pastors, teachers, deacons, the women. That's all that's listed. There's no super deacon or high-end cardinal monsignor pastor bishop. Nothing like that is listed. So my understanding of Scripture, it's it's... Understood. Apostles appointed elders. Now elders rule the churches. I can't find anything that says don't have this, but you can there be a bishop or an elder, we'll call them for lack of a better term. Can there be an elder over several churches? There's no instance of that in Scripture. Now, again, with those exceptions. Right. Yeah, I would say that. There are there are these those like we talked about with the uh, apostolic delegates Timothy and Epaphras. There's James. James is again unique in all of history. Um, but those those guys traveled with Paul, and they seem to be the exceptions rather than the rule. It seems to be, if you look in Scripture, churches have elders, and that's it. Okay, and general and from their from their own number, they're not generally brought in from somewhere else. And candidated and all of that. Okay. You don't see that in scripture either. What does this this story, this passage, what does this tell you about the qualifications of elders? We've talked a lot about apostles, because the apostles, of course, take the lead here. What about elders in this passage? You see anything related to elders? Again, the part of this debate. It says the apostles and elders met. Right? What could be more intimidating than that? Oh, here's Peter, and there's Paul, and there's 
James and John. Well, here's what I think. <laughs> yeah, they had they had to be they had to have enough understanding, enough doctrinal understanding to be able to participate in this debate. Wow, that's a high standard. Okay, well that's great for for way back way back here in Acts. Uh, this issue's been settled, though. We all know that salvation is by grace through faith. Nobody's adding works to that anymore, right? So elders really don't need to worry about that particular issue anymore. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, it's every day. I mean, it's, there's some new... Oh, wait a second. Every day there's some heresy that comes up, and very often it's the same thing, isn't it? Some certain works that are required for salvation, in addition to grace or in... In lieu of grace, it's the same thing. We're, we deal with that here locally still, all the time. It, that doesn't change. That's, that's one of the great satanic perversions of the gospel. And so we, we have to be strong. In, and not just elders. I mean, we all have to understand the gospel of grace well enough that we can defend salvation by grace through faith. Okay. So that hasn't changed. All right, let's go to Acts 20. Ooh. Okay, we will not get through Acts 20 today. Acts 20, the whole passage is 17 through 38. Um, I'm not going to do the whole passage, but that, that is the passage. Acts 20, 17 through 38. And some of you have headings in your Bible. And so it'll say something like, Paul's addressed to the Ephesian elders, or the Ephesian elders exhorted, or something like that. Right? If it's something totally weird from that, you're on the wrong page. Flip the page. It's a it's a great passage. This is what remember I, I held up the first day of that book by Strock, the Book of Eldership. This is what he has to say about this passage. He says his speech, meaning Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, is a virtual manual for pastor elders. It's the only record of Paul speaking directly to elders. It records his final words of exhortation and warning to the church elders, providing a dramatic description of what they are and what they are called by God to do. This is really the, as we go through all this whole study, this passage and maybe the ones on qualifications are kind of the key, key passages. Uh, so we'll probably spend uh, today and some part of next week on this. It starts in verse 17, but verse 17 through 27 is really about Paul's view of his own ministry. Verse 17 says that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called them the elders of the church. So that just sets the scene that he's called the elders to himself. And then he talks about his own ministry in verses uh, 18 through 27. And that's a beautiful study of its own, but I'm going to skip it painfully because of time. Um, it doesn't bear directly on the study of eldership. But it's really beautiful. If you want to spend some time, if you want to understand how you ought to view your ministry, how, how people in service ought to view their ministry, just go through this. He's talking about being a slave to the Lord, um, all the different things that he talks about there. It's beautiful. But we're going to start in verse 28. And I have an overhead, but it's already on the thing, so I can't find it. And that's just that passage that so you all have it in your Bibles, just so I can kind of keep track of it with you. So verse 28 says, remember this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. Verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd 
the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that's probably, I'm guessing, as far as we're going to get is that first verse. Because <laughs> that is full of just amazing truth. Anybody who is, if you aspire to the office of elder, young men, if you aspire to the office of elder, this verse, right? think through this verse. Be on guard for yourselves. We'll start with that part. Is that what your Bible said? It might say, guard yourselves or take heed therefore unto yourselves or take heed therefore unto thyselves, depending on which, which version you have. It means the same thing. Guard yourself. As an elder, you must be in right relationship with the Lord. You have to be. Um, I want you to see why that's so important. So we're going to flip back, way back in your Bible, First Kings. And we're going to look at chapter 15 of 1 Kings here. Not for very long, but just for a second. And you guys have read 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. You know how the, the whole sad story kind of goes, right? This king did followed after what his father did, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and caused Israel to sin. This next king turned away from the, those things and did a little better and helped Israel do a little better. This king followed after the things of his grandpa and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, that's, that's the story, right? So what I want you to see from 1 Kings, and we'll look at a few passages, is influence. The influence of leadership. So look at 1 Kings 15, verses 1 through 3. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, or however you say that, became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zmechah, the daughter of Abishalom. Here's the verse that's important. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father David. So he was, here was an example of someone being, a king being influenced by his parents. So, he was influenced. 1 Kings 15, look at verses 25 and 26. Now, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. So, there's influence. He was influenced by his parents and he influenced Israel to sin in the same way. Through influence. He's not commanding Israel to sin. Right? This is just the influence of leadership. This is, the, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what our leaders do. First right? Kings 15, look at verses 33 and 34. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel at Tirzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. You see it over and over again. This is one chapter, but you see it over and over and over again. The story of the kings of Israel. How they led Israel to sin. The power of influence. Scripture understands the power of influence. We see breaks here and there as you go through kings where somebody will say, I'm not going to follow after what my parents did. I'm going to do, I'm going to do better. And Israel does better for a time. And then somebody else. So it's whatever the influence is for good or evil, you see it throughout the Old Testament stories of the kings. Now, we as Americans like to say, well, we're not influenced by anyone. I stand on my own principles. 
I raise a standard. Okay? All that stuff. It's not true. It, it isn't. The Bible calls us sheep. It doesn't call us eagles. Okay? Whatever. We're sheep. We are. That's, that's what we are. We follow the leader. You know, you ever seen sheep? Diana and Theed aren't here. They're probably seeing sheep right now. They follow the leader. That's what they do. They don't know any better. They just follow whoever's in front of them. Right? And that's what Scripture calls us that. That's, that's what we really do. Uh, we, so we try to tell the teens to follow the right leaders, follow godly leaders, follow the examples from Scripture, follow Scripture itself so that you can follow the Lord Himself. Right? That's our example. That's who we ought to be following. But we, we follow earthly leaders. It's, we're, we can't avoid doing that. The point is choosing to follow the right earthly leaders. So there have to be right earthly leaders. So Paul says, elders, guard yourselves. You have to be following the Lord so that the people that follow you are also following the Lord. That's what he's talking about. The power of influence. Um, This is a a quote from John Owen. I don't know if you know anything about John Owen, but it's a great quote. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. And that's the truth. Whatever we are in relationship to the Lord, that's all we're going to be in this church, in our homes, anything else. So Paul says, guard yourselves. Now look at verse, uh, the rest of verse 28, which I'm now in First Kings, so that's not going to work too good. Now I'm in Mark. Hold on. Oh, I got these ribbon things. Love the ribbon things. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. When we think about the, we've talked a lot about that. Jim, Jim did a great job on this, this passage. I, I still remember kind of the passion of that. About being on guard against the, guard for the flock, right? Paul's going to talk later about the, the grievous wolves, the savage wolves that come in and, and attack the flock. But here he's saying be on guard for the flock in a general way. Do you think that elders need to be on guard for the flock just against false teaching that comes in, heresy? We don't spend most of our time guarding the flock against heresy. We do that. We have to guard the flock more often against something else. What do you think that is? Sin. Right? That's what we have to guard the flock against, is sin, their own sin. That's the enemy. You know, we try to make Satan out to be this, this powerful, great enemy. Sin is the enemy. And that's what we spend most of our time guarding the flock against. Somebody's, somebody's caught in sin. So it's not just talking about those grievous wolves. There's other things, too. Have you ever been in a church that where there's been an issue because people like drum music? Yeah, that's a problem, right? You shouldn't have this, or you should have more of that, and then another music thing. We have to guard against that. Um, How about neckties? (laughs) 
Yeah, you do have a necktie. You're good to go. You ever been to a church where neckties were an issue? What's that? Yeah. That's one of the things I love about this church. We don't really make up rules. Um, nothing wrong with neckties. If you like wearing neckties, you should wear a necktie. Uh, dresses. Girls should wear dresses. Um, I've been in a church where beards were a problem. Ron? Yeah? Because because obviously anybody who has a beard has something to hide. His face. <laughs> These are things we're constantly dealing with. And, you know, it's small things like this. Like, well, I won't go into them because, you know, some of them have happened here. Uh, there's one not never happened here. Going to movies. Can't go to movies. We're supposed to be separate. Movies are worldly. Can't go to movies. Can't go to movies. Halloween is one. Shouldn't celebrate Halloween. How interesting. Yeah. These are all the things that constantly come up. It's not just somebody coming in with some heresy, you know, and trying to take over the church. That doesn't happen very often. It does happen. We had a guy, this was several years ago, he came in to the adult Sunday school class. This is when we were over there. And he sat through it for a little while. He came in late, but he sat through it for a little while. Dave Kenny was teaching. And at the end of it, he comes up to Dave and says, hey, that was really great. You know, I've been thinking about something closely related. It's the first time we've ever seen it. Man. I wonder if I could take your Sunday school class for the next couple of weeks. And Dave says, uh, no. He <laughs> says, well, you'd have to meet with the elders and we'd have to get to know you. And, you know, so, of course, we didn't see him again. So, he was coming to teach a heresy. But it doesn't happen like that very often. All right. Just a little bit more of this verse. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul's really starting to lay it on these guys. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Oh, boy. You mean I didn't just sign up for this? Uh, like, you know, trial basis? No. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, has made you an overseer of this church, an elder of this church. That's a grave responsibility. Here's the truth. You can't retire from eldership. There's no retirement. I've never seen a retirement program for eldership. Now, things can happen and you know you leave, you move away. Or if you were to become disqualified or die, then you're free, right? Um, but I don't really see where you retire from eldership. Now, you may get to the point where for physical reasons or mental reasons or whatever you say, I'm just no longer qualified or I don't desire the position, and then you shouldn't be an elder. But the elder are made elders by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is telling you here. Now, does that... Yes, sir. <laughs> you weren't here two weeks ago, were you? Keratoneo. You guys remember that? Pete? <laughs> Pete wasn't here either. Now, when I started this whole study, I said there's going to be a lot of stuff that pops up here that is worth studying, not just for elders, but for everybody. And this is one of them. Elders are made elders by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's a fact. Does anybody know Ephesians 4.1 without turning there? I'm basically testing Tim right now. 
Anybody know Ephesians 4.1? We only spent, what, four weeks on it? That's been a long time ago. We're on like Ephesians 4. Oh, we're on Ephesians 5 now. Yes, it is. Can you say it again, only only louder? Do that. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's not talking to elders there. He's talking to you. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You, if you're a believer, if you if you have put your faith in Christ, you are called, and you are now urged to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. The first three chapters of Ephesians tells you who you are in Christ, and it's a high thing. It's an amazing thing. You know, you're chosen. You're you're before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. You're a child of God. You're heirs. All of the things that are listed there. And then he says, okay, walk like that. Now live like that. So what Paul is telling the elders here is, yeah, you're, you're called to be elders by the Holy Spirit, but that goes for everybody here. We're all called to be Christians by the Holy Spirit. So we have a calling that we have to live out. No different, right? I mean, there's, there are differences in the role, but I'm, what I'm saying, there's no difference in, in the fact that you're called by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made a decision that you are to follow Christ. Okay? So that that's that's a big thing. Right? It's not just elders. You may be called to be a lot of different things. This isn't on here, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're called to be a lot of different things. You're called to be a husband, a wife, parents. You're called to be Awana leaders. You're called to be Sunday school teachers. You're called to be friends. Everything that you're called to be, you have to live out that role. And the Scripture gives you clear guidelines on how to live that out. So it's no different. If you're an elder, you have to follow the qualifications, the guidelines for an elder. If you're a wife, you have to follow the guidelines for being a wife. There's no escape from this. Why would you want to? The Holy Spirit has called you into this position. Here's how you're to act. And this is what Paul continues on with elders. He says that, Be a guard for yourselves for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. And we'll probably have to stop with that. To shepherd the church of God. Um, shepherd just means to shepherd, to care for sheep generally. Some of your translations may say feed. Anybody say feed the flock of God? They're really close. I mean, the main thing about taking care of sheep is feeding them. So it's pretty tightly put together. So that may kind of be what he's talking about here. But shepherding. One of the things that is included in shepherding is feeding. Okay. How does a shepherd feed the flock? By preaching the word. That's the only food that the, there is to give the flock, is the word. That's it. And here's the point I want to make sure we understand. Shepherds, elders, pastors, whatever you want to call them, they are told to shepherd the flock. Are they told to bring more sheep into the flock? How does that, how does that bear on evangelism, church growth? Where should that emphasis be for, a, for an elder? Should we not evangelize, Jim? 
We're all called to evangelize. Thomas and I did a lesson on that not too long ago. Thomas actually did most of the lesson, but I was, I was there. We talked about evangelism. But we're all called to evangelize. We need to evangelize. We need to bring sheep in. But, but that is absolutely not what we're supposed to be trying to do is enlarge the church. We're not told to have... Here's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have a flock of some size. It could be really small. It could be really big, depending on what the Lord sends. And they should all be nice, healthy, plump little sheep. And so far, it looks like we're, we're doing good there. <laughs> Spiritually, pleasingly plump, right? That's what we should have. Shiny coats. Everything's going well. No wolves. No sick sheep, no goats. Right? It doesn't say that you should have a massive flock of mostly goats and a few starving sheep. Right? That is not what we're called to do. We're called to feed the sheep, to shepherd the sheep, not to just to try to enlarge the flock at all costs. I mean, we could bring goats in all day long if we wanted to. And I'm using goats to mean unbelievers. We could bring them in all day long. That would be no problem. We could easily pack this place out for Multiple services every day. I have no doubt about it. All you got to do is have lots of, lots of music, better music, less challenging messages that are about wealth and prosperity and happiness and love and all that. Show some videos. Get a nose ring. Good to go, right? You can do that. If you act more worldly and more attractive to the world, you can bring in lots of goats. But shepherds are not told to do that. They're told to feed the flock. And what believers need to be fed is the Word. So we have to share the Word. We have a... You know what goes on here Sunday morning. We have a youth group meeting. We have Sunday school. You'd be, I think, a little bit surprised if you saw our youth meeting versus maybe some others that you've heard about or seen in the past. It's the Word. I don't, I don't when I teach these guys, I do not teach them any different than I'm teaching you guys except I might do an object lesson up front, and I know them a little better, and so it's maybe a little more casual in that sense. But we do Greek word studies. You know, they don't always love that, but we do that. It's the same thing. It's feeding them on the Word. They're believers. That's what they want. That's what they want from me. They don't want me to entertain them. They have computers and video games and stuff like that. If that's what they wanted, they stay home and do that. So that's all we have. That's what we're told to do is to feed the flock and this is all we have to do it with. So that's all you'll see here. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, We'll get to the last part of that verse next time. And I don't know. We should be able to do that and then move on to 1 Thessalonians. So we'll hope for that. Okay, let's pray. Father, we're again thankful for your word, for all that it teaches us, for the way that it challenges us. It seems like it's always new. And how many times have we been through uh, Acts and, and uh, read Acts and I thought we've studied it and just every time that I approach any part of your word, I am just blown away by the, the depth of it. Lord, there is infinite food in your word. We lack nothing. It's all there. Pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to read it, to study it, to... Uh, to apply it, and we just thank you that you gave it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.